You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We're going to get to those stories in just a moment, but first, dramatic moments in a Vancouver courtroom today with the family of a 12 year old married girl murdered more than 40 years ago, finally telling her killer about the devastation he caused. Ramina Day is live in Vancouver with the details of the emotional victim impact statements at sentencing hearing and also, Rumina, a stunning development in the murder of another little girl. Yeah, those details are shocking, Chris. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, it was a powerful day of reckoning from Monica Jack's family four decades in the making. For she's my baby daughter. I love her, yes, I do. There's not a sweetest one that can be found. Monica Jack's mother spontaneously broke out in a love song for her daughter after Gary Taylor Hamlin was sentenced to life in prison. I feel I have justice, but you know, it's, um, what is justice? You know, I know he's in jail, but you know, that doesn't really help. You know, he's still alive. 12-year-old Jack was riding her bike along the highway near Merritt in 1978 when she was abducted, raped and killed, according to Crown's evidence. Jack's remains were discovered 17 years later. A jury found 71-year-old Handlin guilty on one count of first-degree murder earlier this month, more than 40 years after the killing. Well, I've looked him in the face more than once, and uh, I'm happy to say that... We're all moving on, and he's going to jail. <laughs> the epicenter of the Jack case was the Mr. Big RCMP sting. Uh, I think I strangled it, I'm not sure. Hanlon confessed to a fake undercover crime boss in 2014. What the jury didn't know is during this sting, Hanlon allegedly confessed to killing another little girl. 11-year-old Catherine Mary Herbert went missing near her home in Matsqui in September 1975. There's no such thing as a cold case to the families, nor is there ever closure. Only resolution surrounding the events. Herbert's body was found several months later. Handlin was charged with first-degree murder in the Herbert case, but the alleged confession was ruled inadmissible. We don't know why. As a result, Crown did not proceed, and the first-degree murder charge in the Herbert matter has now been dismissed. The Crown uh, was left with no other option but to call no evidence, and in the event, Mr. Handlin was acquitted. But Handlin is going to jail for killing Jack. The little girl's family praying there's no appeal. Now, Chris, no word yet on whether defense will appeal. In the Jack matter, parole el eligibility is automatically set at 25 years. But Hanlon can apply for reconsideration under the faint hope clause because of when the crime was committed. Back to you. All right, Ramina Dea, thank you. Police are still looking for suspects in a fatal shooting that shocked a South Vancouver neighborhood. 69-year-old Senan Cepeda Silva was shot and killed late Saturday night in front of a home near Fraser Street in East 51st. The shooter, or shooters, fled the scene before officers arrived. 
This is Vancouver's second homicide of 2019, and police say it appears to have been targeted. A frightening incident at a Vancouver marijuana dispensary is focusing new attention tonight on pot shops that are still operating illegally. A customer was shot in the leg during a robbery at the East Vancouver Dispensary, which is not one of the seven private stores that are licensed in this province. Grace Key reports. Stepping Stone Holistic Living on Kingsway is back open for business after a brazen robbery that sent one customer to hospital with a gunshot wound. It happened just after 5 o'clock Sunday evening. Two masked robbers made demands. One produced a gun and fired in the store. The 32-year-old customer was rushed to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. This latest incident is leaving some to wonder if it's time for the illegal pot shops to start shutting down. Still see many of them still open and I'm still lost to figure out why they're still open. I think they should still be open, especially in Vancouver. There's a need for them. Some of them are people just trying to make a living and Vancouver is a very expensive city. Come on in, let's do this! There are three legal cannabis stores operating in Vancouver. In December, the B.C. Supreme Court ordered 28 illegal marijuana dispensaries participating in the suit to shut down. Whoa, look at this. And without a provincial license, they wow. are subject to enforcement by the province's Community Safety Unit. So how soon will enforcement start? A statement from the Ministry of Public Safety reads... As more legal retail stores open across the province, you can expect to see increasing enforcement action by the Community Safety Unit. I think it's something that's been pushed on us for political purposes and for a cash grab rather than actually something that's actually meaningful. That unit is not fully staffed yet, but it's expected to have 44 full-time employees operating province-wide out of four regional offices. As for Stepping Stone, the city confirms it does not have a provincial license. The robbers ran off before police arrived. Grace Key, Global News. Police on Vancouver Island are investigating a disturbing discovery. A woman's body found this morning on a bench in a local park in Saanich. At this point, the woman hasn't been identified and the cause of death has not been determined. The park was closed as police collected evidence. A frightening industrial accident in Vancouver Harbor today. A huge crane collapsing onto a container ship after the vessel crashed into it. Luckily, no one was hurt. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, one of the big concerns was whether any hazardous goods were involved. It was 4 a.m. Monday when this crane suddenly crashed down onto the container ship Ever Summit in the port of Vancouver, leaving part of the crane crumpled and a number of containers visibly damaged. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but the losses could be substantial. The cranes themselves are very expensive. It could be up to we're upwards of $50 million. There's damage to the ship. There's the delay of the ship, the delay of the dock. The incident happened as the 300-meter ship was docking. Port of Vancouver officials have told Global News they will not be commenting on the crane collapse. Instead, they referred us to GCT, Global Container Terminals. They in turn told us that they had no one available for an interview. In an email, GCT said it has been confirmed that none of the containers in question contain hazardous cargo. Officials wouldn't say exactly what is on board, but we do know that the ship is registered in Panama, owned by a Taiwanese company, and that it left China about two weeks ago. 
The main container terminal at the port remains closed, and some fear it could cause weeks of delays. To get that off there, you're going to have to probably bring in a large floating crane or a shore-based crane, and the container crane can only lift 40 tons, so you're going to have to cut that up, and that might be weeks. As for why the ship hit the crane, that remains unclear, and a number of agencies are investigating, including Transport Canada and the Transportation Safety Board. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The diplomatic dispute between Canada and China over the arrest of a Chinese tech giant executive is even more complicated tonight. The U.S. Justice Department has officially filed charges against the Huawei Corporation and its chief financial officer, thanking Canada for her arrest. Aaron MacArthur is in our newsroom right now with the latest on what's next for Meng Wanzhou. Aaron? Yeah, complicated to be sure, Chris. Meng Wanzhou was arrested at YVR. The warrants indicated she was picked up for Huawei's violation of the sanctions levied by the U.S. against Iran. Today, the U.S. Department of Justice expanded that. A 13-count indictment was partially unsealed in two separate courtrooms. The indictment alleges Huawei stole intellectual property, and Meng Wanzhou personally is charged with obstruction of justice, money laundering, as well as bank and wire fraud. Meng, still under house arrest, faces extradition to the U.S. The indictments were unsealed in order for the U.S. government to officially pursue extradition from Canada. Meng is alleged to have lied to U.S. banks about her company's involvement in trade deals in Iran. The Department of Justice also alleges the resulting loans totaling hundreds of millions of dollars were used to bypass international sanctions. The praise from the U.S. Acting Attorney General for this country's cooperation will be adding to the strain of Canada's relations with the U.S., but this experts say it's just another arsenal in the war, trade war between the U.S. and China. Today's charges serve as a warning that the FBI does not and will not tolerate businesses that violate our laws, obstruct our justice, and jeopardize our national security. We will not stand idly by while any entity, whether it's a foreign government or corporation, seeks to criminally or unfairly undermine our country's place in the world. Now, the charges have been filed, but the extradition paperwork has not. The U.S. government has until Wednesday to get that done. Meng Wanzhou also will be in court tomorrow to get some of her bail conditions altered. Chris? All right. Thanks, Aaron. The estimate of how much money was laundered through B.C. casinos is about to skyrocket. Global News has obtained documents revealing hundreds of millions in dirty money allegedly flowed into B.C. casinos through something called the Patron Gaming Fund. Global reporter Sam Cooper joins us now with the details. And Sam, we are talking about a huge amount of money here. That's right. We already knew that the B.C. government's official estimates of about $100 million in dirty cash were low. Experts believe that figure in dirty cash is closer to a billion. But what we've learned is regulators believe that loan sharks and Chinese VIPs are now laundering dirty cash into bank drafts and into these new high-roller VIP non-cash accounts and about $1.7 billion from 2013 to 2017 flowed through these accounts in questionable money. So when you add up the dirty cash and the dirty bank drafts, we could be looking at about $2 billion. So how does it work? How did they do it? The regulators believe that uh, organized crime, loan sharks, 
go to banks, they take dirty cash there. Somehow they're able to buy anonymous bank drafts and then they sell these to foreign VIPs that come to BC to gamble. They did this because they had to get around new cash rules at casinos. And so uh, the gamblers, they can use these special VIP patron gaming fund accounts. They can either win, come out with huge checks, or just take funds out and uh, they win too. With a returnable check, uh, they can go buy a home now. It is amazing. Is it just the suspicious bank drafts that make the new VIP gambling accounts so suspicious or, or is there more? It's not just that the, the bank drafts are believed to be dodgy. What the real red flag here, according to regulators, is the people, the gamblers that were using these accounts are the biggest of the so-called whale gamblers. We're talking about dozens of people that came over from China to B.C. to gamble. And uh, regulators and investigators now believe these are some of the who's who of global organized crime. So whether they were dealing with cash or bank drafts, it was all connected to the same loan sharks in B.C., and what's your best guess about whether they're going to face justice at any point? At this point, we know that there's increasing pressure on BC's government to go further than the first Peter German independent review. Every day, it seems the pressure is raising for a public inquiry that would look deeper into facts such as how did BC Lottery Corp allow such amounts of suspicious cash to flood into casinos. We know that there's one uh, police investigation still being reviewed by Crown, looking at some of these alleged uh, loan sharks that were using the cash in the bank drafts. So we don't know whether there'll be charges on that uh, second investigation right now. So much still to investigate. Nice work on this file, Sam. Thanks very much. Thanks, Chris. Right now, though, Nanaimo voters are about to go to the polls for what is arguably the most important by-election in modern B.C. history. The result of Wednesday's vote could have a cascading impact on government, even leading to its dissolution. Or, as Richard Zussman reports, it could make the man who's been at the center of the legislative spending scandal the most powerful man in the province. It's hard for Speaker Darrell Plekis to go anywhere these days without a handshake or a request for a picture, even though this one's from a legislature colleague. Intense focus has been on the Speaker since his report was released last week. And now, if the Liberals win the provincial by-election on Wednesday in Nanaimo, the legislature will be tied. Plekis will have new power, the responsibility to break any ties. Historically, the Speaker has voted uh, with government. I mean, it, it, part of the Speaker's role is to continue uh, to allow government to function. But Plekis is not your traditional speaker. Kicked out of the Liberal Party when he took on the role, he now sits as an independent, meaning even by keeping the government afloat, he could still support Liberal opposition legislation. As speaker, he will look at every single issue and every single item and, and every single piece of legislation with the utmost of detail. There is the question, in the case of a tie, how long can the government keep the confidence of this House? Premier John Horgan not ready to weigh in yet. I'm expecting that uh, Sheila Malcolmson will be the next MLA for Nanaimo, and we'll go from there. And, and if that's not the case, then ask me on Thursday. Malcolmson's main challenger is Liberal Tony Harris. Political scientist Gerald Baer says in a tie situation, Plekis's newfound credibility could help avoid the government immediately collapsing. Now he seems to be a bit more of a public hero, and so uh, there is a little bit more independence and a little bit more 
credibility that he has, I think, than he had before that report was released. And for Plekis, his importance may be about to grow. As the man cheered for uprooting an alleged culture of entitlement at the legislature could soon wield huge political power. Richard Zussman, Global News. Well, the spending scandal front and center once again tonight for Premier John Horgan. Keith Baldry is in Victoria with more on this. And Keith, is the Premier listening when it comes to these demands for more information about the inappropriate spending allegations? Well, he remind, I think he's a little frustrated by this because he doesn't really have a lot of power. Even as Premier, uh, there are rules here, and he just can't suddenly open up uh, uh, receipts and, and expense envelopes and that type of thing. But he did point out to reporters today, he used to be on LAMSI, the Legislative Assembly Management Committee that oversees the spending of the legislature, and he actually raised the issue back in 2012, why don't we have more oversight over the clerk and the sergeant-at-arms? But he was rebuffed then by the government majority on that committee. Uh, he talked about that today, but he also pointed out... There's going to be an audit of all the spending legislature. It's going to begin soon, and he wants the province's independent auditor general, Carol Bellringer, to conduct that audit, even though Lamsey last week passed a motion to go outside the province. The premier reiterating his view on a very important issue of who audits the books in B.C. Here's the premier. I have complete confidence in the uh, Auditor General and particularly uh, the Auditor General's office and particularly Ms. Bellringer. I have no problem with her undo, uh, un going in and doing the audit. The former Auditor General did the first audit that opened up and exposed the excesses back a decade ago. Uh, I see it's absolutely appropriate that they finish the job. So Carol Bellringer will presumably get to work in the near future, Chris, but it's going to take some time to conduct this audit. We're talking about a lot of uh, envelopes to be looked at, and depending on how many years she's going to go back, that's going to take some time to get going. But the next shoe to drop in this scandal likely comes on Friday. That's when Craig James and Gary Lenz, the two officers at the heart of this story, are going to be releasing a, a letter from their lawyer that they say will refute each of Daryl Plekis's allegations literally on a line-by-line -line basis. So get ready for Friday. Mm -hmm. That and we have a by-election in between now and then, too. So uh, lots to keep you busy over there in Victoria. You got it. Thanks, Keith. Well, here's another challenge for the premier. A new public opinion poll shows British Columbians are getting very impatient with government delays in bringing ride sharing to this province. But as John Waugh reports, the transportation minister says she's staying the course, aiming for a fall launch. Some call it just another taxi service. Others say it's a made-for-BC ride-hailing solution. Driving is a hassle you just don't need. Then there are those who say Cater's only advantage is being allowed to cut in line ahead of other services like Uber and Lyft. I don't think that's really fair. I don't see how that would benefit us. I think that everyone should be on the same playing field. By partnering up with the Vancouver Taxi Association and applying under its rules, Cater could be the first ride-hailing option in BC. The Minister of Transportation asked if this is an unfair head start. I believe that Cater is following the rules as exist at the moment and that when we get app-based ride-hailing rules in place, which is what we're working on at the moment, um, that they will then have to follow those rules. Critics say what the public is really getting, a version of ride-hailing nobody asked for. The consumer should be picking the winner, not a company that at the very least is sharing profits with the traditional taxi industry. What this looks like to me at the end of the day is the NDP putting lipstick on a pig. Those fighting for real ride sharing like Uber and Lyft feel the government is hoping Cater will be enough. I'm sure that's part of it because it would be easier for the government because they do have a bit of an issue with the taxi industry. There's no question. <laughs> 
For the rest of the pack, starting the process will have to wait until the fall. 60% of people who took part in a recent poll say they want it right now. I think Uber would be much more convenient. There needs to be more competition. Uber would like help out a lot of people, I think. So while Cater hopes to say the wait is finally over, others say they'll still be trying to hail a service, already picking up passengers around the world. John Hua, Global News. Environmentalists are raising the alarm about what they say is a major hole in B.C.'s new climate action plan. They say we're ignoring hidden emissions coming from our forests. They say two record-breaking wildfire seasons, logging and forest-killing pine beetles, are all contributing to climate change. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, there's growing pressure to factor that into the province's future plans. Forests are the planet's lungs. They breathe in and store carbon dioxide, keeping the levels and the harm it can do down, and breathe out oxygen. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. Forests helped us for millennia to sequester more carbon than what they release. This has changed now in the last 10 years, and they are now losing more carbon compared to what they absorb. According to a report by the Sierra Club of BC, the situation is getting worse. The reasons include wildfires, mountain pine beetle infestations, and poor logging practices. Forests store a lot of carbon, and when they burn or when they die as a result of insect outbreaks or when they're getting clear-cut, they stop absorbing carbon and they release it. The B.C. government keeps track of carbon emissions, but the Sierra Club says they do not include forest emissions in the total. As a result, B.C.'s official carbon dioxide emissions total a few years ago was 62 million tonnes from burning fossil fuel. What they don't clearly spell out is that there are another 200 million tons from our forests. International agreements do not require forest emissions to be included in the total. But the Sierra Club says that's no reason to ignore them. The problem is that it's kind of hidden and we need a forest emissions report to inform action to reduce these emissions. And with the situation getting worse, thanks largely to the increase in wildfires, time is of the essence. Our forests are on life support and we have business as usual. That's not okay. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. So we did get a late statement from B.C. Environment Minister George Heyman, who promises to take a closer look at how British Columbia reports emissions from forest fires and that he plans to continue discussions about the Sierra Club report with Doug Donaldson, Minister of Forests, in the coming weeks. All right, when it comes to training the furry members of your family, most dog owners leave it up to the professionals. But how do you find a good one in an unregulated industry. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrua, is here to help. Yeah, it can be very confusing for dog owners, but the BC SPCA is hoping to change all that. Mm. Thanks, Chris. The dog training industry in BC, as Chris mentioned, is unregulated, which means you don't need any education or experience to call yourself a dog trainer. Sit. Sit. Can you give me paw? Now, while there are many highly educated trainers in the province, the BC SPCA says 
It still gets hundreds of calls seeking advice on which trainers are reputable. The society says certifications are often confusing and the average dog owner and even veterinarians have a very hard time defining the most qualified help. So to help pet owners, the society is launching a new animal kind program which accredits BC dog trainers who use standards set out by the SPCA. The standards are reward-based and the SPCA says they have been proven in countless scientific studies. The program offers a trainer who is effective and humane, providing peace of mind for dog owners. One of the first things that dog owners tend to do is reach out for help, but some dog trainers are using outdated methodology, outdated equipment. We know now that rewards-based training is the most effective, most humane type of training out there, and used appropriately, it can work wonders for changing dogs' behavior. If interested, dog owners can go to the BC SPCA website where they will find a link to the Animal Kind website. Right now, there are accredited dog training services in North Vancouver, Surrey, Vancouver, Victoria, Nanaimo, and Duncan. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thank you very much, Anne. Families of those lost or injured in the Humboldt bus crash filed into a Saskatchewan courtroom for the first day of what's sure to be a very emotional week. The truck driver who blew through a stop sign and caused the accident is being sentenced. He has already taken responsibility for his actions, pleading guilty earlier this month. But this is the chance for the families to have their say in his punishment. Ryan Kessler has more on the first day of proceedings. Toby Boulay wants to know if there is an end to the emptiness, the pain and the suffering after losing his son, Logan. Neither of us are ready to to forgive, but we know that we have to get to a spot somewhere in our new normal that there has to be peace. And when that time comes, then we'll know where we're at. Logan Boulay, his son, is described as a kind leader who inspired thousands to become organ donors. Jaskarit Sidhu is the semi-truck driver who pleaded guilty to 13 counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm and 16 counts of dangerous driving causing death. And you have an idea what everybody else is dealing with, but to hear them articulate it and put it into their words... It's powerful stuff. Also among the dead, bus driver Glenn Dirksen, a fun-loving community volunteer. Connor Lucan, a handsome, studious team player. His mother says Sadu has ruined the family she worked to build. The emotion appears to weigh on the truck driver, who broke down in tears before the hearing even started, as he was comforted by a late Bronco's mother. Some families are seeing Sadu for the first time. It doesn't stir up anything for me. Um, you know, I think he's a victim in all of this too and you can't be human and not feel for the tragedy that occurred there. As sentencing began, an agreed statement of facts confirmed details many suspected. Sadu's semi-truck was going over 95 kilometers an hour and did not stop before the intersection. The bus driver could not avoid the crash. The sun and environmental factors did not play a role. Court heard Sadu was not using drugs or alcohol prior to the crash. And according to the agreed statement of facts, this crash was solely due to Sadu's actions, which is why families have come here to express their sorrow. Ryan Kessler, Global News. A routine stop took a dangerous turn in Texas when the driver refused to stop his vehicle. Put the vehicle in park! Three officers were hanging on the doors in an attempt to get the driver to stop, but he continued anyway. One officer was injured after he was thrown off. Police were initially responding to reports a man was asleep behind the wheel. 
We're getting a rare glimpse of Siberian tiger cubs playing in their natural habitat. A hidden camera caught the images of the four cubs at the Leopard National Park in Russia's Far East region. The playful litter believed to be three to four months old. It's unusual to see cubs this young because they don't usually venture too far from the den until they're older. But great video all the same. In Health Matters tonight, a warning for parents of young children to turn off those screens. A new study from the University of Calgary found more screen time can lead to developmental delays in areas like communication, motor skills, and expressing their emotions. The study monitored almost 2,500 families with children ages 2 to 5 and found most kids were getting more than the recommended maximum of one hour a day on tablets and smartphones or in front of the TV. Experts say parents should be focusing on more interactive activities to encourage better overall development. A cuddly carnivore you would never expect right after the forecast with Christy. Very strange indeed. We have been blessed with some amazing sunsets and sunrises, and you've got another one. It was beautiful this morning, Christy. Yeah, all thanks to sort of an alto or zero cumulus cloud across our region today. It was spotted all across uh, the lower mainland sunrise from Vancouver. Thanks to Michael for that one. And this one from Port Moody. A lot of people wondering, though, red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. Not yet. Not yet. We still have two more nice days on the way, but because of this type of cloud, we also experience, or a lot of people did, experience this, a fall streak hole, which kind of looks like a UFO in my mind a little bit. Let me attempt to explain to you what happens. You have an area of this cloud, it only happens in this type of cloud, where the temperature actually drops below the freezing mark, but the moisture in there doesn't actually freeze because there's a lack of ice nuclei. It's the little particles for the ice to actually uh, freeze onto. But as soon as one does occur, all of a sudden the ice starts to, to nucleate and you get these, the drop of the um, ice crystals there and all of the water in the cloud evaporates and it creates this big hole. So yeah, big hole and then you get the water, the dropping of the ice crystals. So really interesting. And I would say that we experienced a number of them across the lower mainland today. They were spotted on Vancouver Island as well. Uh, but it may have been the same one. I'm not exactly sure, but I think there was more than one. And then with that, look at this. With the clearing, the sun created a little rainbow inside of that fall streak hole and it was captured also by Samantha in Maple Ridge. Great stuff lately, I tell you. Now we're so lucky. We Wind chills to minus 55 in the far north. That's where your skin freezes in less than two minutes if it, it's exposed. So extreme cold warnings, snowfall warnings, winter uh, storm watches. So we're very lucky here across the west coast. We do have a number of areas that will be very cold tonight. Wind chills close to minus 20 in the far north. Wind chills close to minus 10 in through the south. But the south coast will remain fairly mild. We will see a bit of frost in the morning, but generally we've got this big ridge of high pressure. However, that's going to change. Yes, by Thursday and Friday, Friday, everyone, we will see a transition back to cloud and more rain. So mostly dry tomorrow, except for the north coast. And you can see that here across the south. Enjoy the next couple of days. In northern parts of the province will see a change by Wednesday. For the southern parts of the province, a change will happen on Thursday. Temperatures will stay similar, but that's when we'll start to see the rain. And I'll leave you with the Cowichan Valley shot of what I believe is the sunrise and the fall streak hole. So he caught them both. Thanks to Graham for that. Well done, Graham, and thank you, Christy.
Okay, sometimes when you're down, your furry friend can help boost your spirits. But what about a more scaly kind of companion? He comforted me. I got over my depression. Wally the alligator is actually a registered emotional support animal now. His owner says it all started when he lost three friends in just one week. And Wally seemed to sense it and crawled right up next to him. Now, Wally is providing support for other people, too, even visiting nursing homes and other people in the community. His owner says this gator has never bit anyone, and people shouldn't judge a book by its cover. It does have a little band around its I know, I was wondering, well... <laughs> Maybe that's what yeah. doesn't mean anybody. Yeah. How did he crawl right up? Like, wait, just on the side of the street? Yeah, well, he's got the... He had <laughs> him in the tub. He has the pool. And oh, so I mean, who like, doesn't so have an alligator in the tub? He already had him. And oh, now I he's see. a registered... Now he okay. got him registered. I thought they just met on the side of the street. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. You know, it's nice if you're feeling down and the alligator comes up and hugs you, but I still don't trust him. <laughs> I know that doesn't instill a lot of confidence. Hey, the White Caps have a new guy. Let's watch him miss well, the net. See, maybe you thought the same thing I did when we used a, a highlight all, of this guy. We, he missed the we, net. We, we uh, took some highlights from his game the other day for South Korea against Qatar. Yeah. I know. It's kind of like your alligator's your support animal. Yes, I know. <laughs> it doesn't quite fit, does it? Uh, it looks like the White Caps so are spending some of their Alfonso Davies money on South Korean midfielder Hwang In Byung. The acquisition will cost Vancouver about 1.8 million U.S. Now, he has played in the South Korean national team, but his pro career has been in the Korean second division. However, he's only 22, and he does have some serious ball skills. Maybe he can bring, as we said, some K-pop to Vancouver's offense. He's an attacking midfielder, but it's going to be a step up in class to go from K2 to Major League Soccer. But there are apparently... Some German clubs looking to sign this guy as well. So Europe has taken notice of his skills. The signing should be made official sometime this week. And the Whitecaps have sent striker Anthony Blundell to a club in Chile as part of a one-year loan. Blundell was one of Carl Robinson's big acquisitions last year, but he looked like a guy lost in an airport when he played. He only scored one goal, started 8 of 18 games, had some off-field issues. It was a bit of a mess for him. The uh, Caps can bring him back, though, for 2020, but I think he would really have to improve for that to happen. Okay, when Bayern Munich bought Alfonso Davies from the Whitecaps, they said they felt he was a first-team player right now. Maybe not a starter, but good enough to be a sub and learn from practicing and playing along with all the stars that Bayern Munich has on its roster. And on the weekend, in the second league game, Davies has suited up. He got into it as a sub to help his team mop up in a 4-1 win. Substitution here, well, big as far as uh, the number 19, Alfonso Davies. It, it, it's a huge deal, and I think we're so excited about it, and we show our emotions more than he does, and he just, he just looks so calm, cool, and collected, like, yeah, this is the next step, what's next? What else do you guys, what else do you guys want me to do? I'll do it. And that's, his, that's been his mindset since I've known him. Any challenge that's come his way, he's hurdled it, not only hurdled it, but with ease. And, and that's, that's a testament to his character and who he is as a person. Unused substitute last weekend. This is Bundesliga debut. Normally it's no big deal when a player comes on in the 86th minute of mop-up time en route to a 4-1 victory, except there is nothing normal about Alfonso Davies and his ascent to one of soccer's top clubs, Bayern Munich. It's relatively early for him to be getting um, Bundesliga first-team minutes. 
the fact that he actually got in, I think, illustrates how serious they are about him. And the fact that he got in just reiterates what I what I was suggesting before he left. In the three to four years he was here, he never ever got carried away with himself. He had his feet firmly on the ground. His only other previous appearance came in an exhibition earlier this month, but clearly Bayern Munich has Alfonso Davies in its future plans. It's why they shelled out $22 million for his rights, and it's why at the age of 18, he's seeing minutes with a big club and not on loan somewhere else. Most people were assuming that they're going to they're going to get him and then they're going to loan him out and they said right uh, from the, the the first time we started discussions that they wanted him for the first team they had a couple of aging players that they saw him you know um, getting some 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 minutes uh, for as as the uh, as he progressed when you see in that that um, that winter break tournament when you see the players giving him the trophy it's an illustration of they've accepted him. He's kind of like Vancouver's child. You know, we, we all want, want the best for him, and he's such a special kid. He deserves uh, all the success he's had. I thought I was Vancouver's child. I guess not anymore. <laughs> the uh, Maple Leafs picked up veteran defenseman Jake Muzzin from the L.A. Kings for a package that Canuck fans might have wanted to see Vancouver get if they had traded a defenseman to Toronto because the Leafs gave L.A. its first-round draft pick this year, minor league forward Carl Grundstrom, and junior defenseman Sean Durzen. Now, this is a good move for the Maple Leafs. Defense is where they needed help. Muzzin's a Stanley Cup champ. He's a solid blue liner, and he's plus 10 on a terrible Kings team this year. Uh, Jets and Flyers, there's BC boy. Laurent Brossois playing in goal for the Winnipeg Jets tonight. They're in Philly. Philly's won uh, three in a row and four of five coming into this one. They're up one nothing, but uh, Jack Roslovich will tip in this one on the power play. Jacob Trouba, the shot is 1-1. But then a tip... The other end, Travis Konechny tipping an Andrew McDonald shot. It's 3-1 now in the third, Philadelphia over Winnipeg. Oh, uh, they did a Super Bowl simulation on Madden 2019. Rams 30, New England 27. Wow. And the Patriots right now are in a a two-and-a-half point favorite in most casino sports books. So there you go. Here's your snow report for today. Not a lot of new snow across B.C., but we've had plenty of sunshine. Whistler Blackcomb, Grouse, Cypress, and Sasquatch. No new snow, but nice bases. Revelstoke did receive two centimeters. Bernie Manny Park and Whitewater with zeros. Big White, Silver Star, and Sun Peaks, all no new snow. The Kicking Horse did pick up two centimeters, while Mount Washington and Powder King struck out, but good bases for this time of year. Coming up on ET Canada, Sangeeta talks to all the winners at the 2019 SAG Awards and why meeting Henry Winkler was our favorite moment. Plus the not-so-live-after-all rent controversy. Where was the understudy? That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you. Thank you, Keisha. All right, treasure discovered in the trash sparks a mystery that took decades to solve. More than 50 years ago, a garbage collector in Regina found a small metal box filled with war medals. He forgot about it for years, until recently turning to social media to help solve the mystery. It's a big garbage man, pick up garbage, you know. These pictures, a reminder of a lifelong career. One day, Joe McNon made an unusual curbside discovery. That metal box there was shaking, was kind of heavy, you know, there might be something in there. 
inside a collection of medals from the First and Second World Wars, the inscription W.A. Harvey. I thought I'd better keep it. Destined for the landfill, Mignon did just that, forgetting about his treasure over the years. That is, until now. I cleaned up a little bit and I found a box again. On a quest to find the family, he enlisted the help of his daughter. He just dropped in and he said, here, he says, uh, take a picture of this and put it on Facebook. And it didn't take long before the clues led them to Toronto. As it turns out, the medals belong to their grandfather, William Arthur Harvey, a prominent Regina surgeon, and his son, William Alexander Harvey. Dr. Harvey had, had two two children, one our mother and, and, and his son Alec, and uh, Alec joined the army in 39 and went through the second war. Labeled a war hero, both men received a number of honors. Well, I was blown away because it was so long ago that he, and then to, to try and find us is really amazing. Well, the long lost medals are finally back where they belong. The book isn't quite closed on this mystery. The trio plans to research the meaning behind the medals, rewriting a chapter of history they didn't even know was missing. Caitlin Wilson, Global News. Once again, the power of social media for good. Because it could be pretty nasty when it's bad. <laughs> well, it's good when it's good. Thank goodness. Uh, beautiful sunrise this morning. Are we going to duplicate that tomorrow? Hopefully, yes, mm -hmm. hopefully. Uh, it will still be cold. Expect a bit of frost tomorrow morning and Wednesday. Wednesday, I think we'll see a bit more cloud, but still two pretty nice days on the way. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Christy. And thank you for watching. Have a great night.